Welcome to the From the Flats podcast, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Now, here's your host, Wiley Ballard. Finally, time for a home game in 2019. The Yellow Jackets getting set to draw the curtain on the season at Bobby Dodd as they host the South Florida Bulls this week. We've got a lot in store. We'll hear from uh, ACC Network analyst Roddy Jones, as well as new Georgia Tech baseball pitching coach Danny Burrell. But first things first, joined by the Learfield IMG College Georgia Tech Sports Network radio crew, Andy Demetra and Sean Bedford. And guys, let's look briefly back at, at what we saw this past weekend or Thursday night at Clemson. Your takeaways from the game, what did you see? So we said it over and over again during the actual broadcast, but there's a lot of things to like out of that performance. Now, obviously, the result was not what everyone was hoping for. But when you break down what you saw there, I saw a defense that was flying around, that was tackling in space, that knew their assignments. Um, I thought coverage was excellent downfield. And I thought they played with tremendous energy, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. It just takes a couple of guys being out of alignment. Suddenly, uh, an elite back like Travis Etienne can make you pay for it. And he did on a couple of big plays that ultimately wound up being the difference in that game for Clemson's offense. But all in all, I was very impressed with the approach and demeanor I saw out of the defense. And then offensively, I think there's a lot to like in the running game. Tobias Oliver, I thought, ran the ball really well. I thought he looked very dynamic. He looked faster than he did last year. I thought Jordan Mason uh, showed tremendous tackle-breaking ability. Yeah, I, I think only one team in America last week played the defending national champions, and that was Georgia Tech. So very easy to twist things out of proportion if there was an aspect that might not agree agreed with you. But I'm with you, Sean. I think there was a lot that uh, was very encouraging for Georgia Tech. First off, think about two big occupational hazards for football teams in week one. Penalties, missed tackles. How many times have you seen those burn teams across the country last weekend? Georgia Tech only had two penalties all game uh, in that road environment. And there weren't a lot of missed tackles in space. So I thought that was really encouraging. I like the energy. I'm with you there, Sean. And let's not forget, Clemson was number one in the nation last year in scoring defense. They were sixth and third down defense. That's a really tough defense to move against, but we still saw enough chunk plays from Georgia Tech throughout the game that it should make you really encouraged. It should not at all shake your faith. And coming into USF, I think Georgia Tech showed a lot that shows the potential of this team as we move on. Going into this week against South Florida, Georgia Tech still going to list Tobias Oliver, Lucas Johnson, James Graham uh, above the line at the quarterback position. We saw Tobias take 10 series of the 14. Lucas Johnson got the one. And then uh, James Graham at the tail end of the game. Sean, what was the most important thing you learned when it came to the quarterback position for Georgia Tech in 2019 in the first game? You know, I think James Graham's play at the end was a bit of a revelation, and there's always been sort of this kind of uh, fog of mystery around him. He's been talked up even by Paul Johnson, who's not someone to give praise lightly. We knew he could run. We knew he could make some dynamic plays. I don't think we knew he could pass quite as well as we saw towards the end of that game. He made three really elite next-level type throws uh, including that touchdown pass to Amari and Brown. You know, out of uh, out of Tobias Oliver, I, I think we saw kind of confirmation of what we knew. He can run the ball really well. You know, I'd like to see him take that next step in the passing game, although that's a tough defense to do it against. And uh, Lucas Johnson, unfortunately, remains a little bit of a question mark. He only was in on that one drive. Uh, we know he's got an arm, but we've yet to really see him unleash it in a, a standard situation as opposed to that high-pressure one-minute drill 
And, and, you know, when you come in cold in that setting, it's tough to really give him a fair evaluation. When you look back at the South Florida game from last season, the headline's going to be the two kickoff returns allowed in uh, one quarter that changed the game. And, and But in the fourth quarter, it was Blake Barnett and his legs that kind of broke the back of the Yellow Jackets. We saw some scrambling from Trevor Lawrence last week. What position group is going to be responsible for trying to slow down Blake Barnett and keep him in the pocket? Well, I think that's going to be it's going to fall largely on the shoulders of the linebackers. And I think after what we saw last year where uh, Blake Barnett maybe caught the defense a little bit off guard, I don't think that's going to be the case this year. And I think um, I, I think this tech defense and in particular guys like David Curry are going to be aware of where he is on the field, especially in the role that Kerwin Bell's uh, new system at USF kind of puts Blake Barnett. You know, he's going to be involved in that quarterback run. Even when he's, you know, maybe just carrying out a fake, he's going to take or at least take a path up the middle to try to sell that inverted veer and that interior um, kind of quarterback run action. So I expect to, to see David Curry, Charlie Thomas, keeping an eye on Blake Barnett and, and, you know, maybe giving him a couple of gentle taps just to let them know they're there. But, you know, I think the secondary is going to have its hands full. I think they're going to be trying to take into account the wide receivers and a lot of that horizontal passing game. But they are going to try to isolate people in space. And when you do that, that's going to occupy your secondary, which leaves a lot of the responsibility for the quarterback and running back on the linebackers. And if you're talking about the responsibility, Sean, of the linebackers to spy and contain Blake Barnett on those zone read keepers, it's good to see Charlie Thomas be active against Clemson. He had six tackles, which was uh, two shy, uh, three shy rather of a career high for him. David Curry is a really dependable guy. You know you can count on him to be in his fit. Uh, and so I think that bodes well for Georgia Tech. With USF transitioning into this Kerwin Belt offense, it's a lot of horizontal passing, quick touch throws, getting your playmakers in space. And so with Barnett, him running at Wiley, to me, is just a change of pace. It's like that pitcher who is predominantly fastball, curveball. Every now and then, he's going to drop it a changeup just to keep a batter honest. That's how I regard Barnett and his running ability. He's certainly capable of it, but I think USF believes they have enough skill position guys where they don't need to lean too heavily into Barnett's legs because they know that he has a good arm, as we saw with several really impressive throws last weekend versus Wisconsin. It's something you have to be mindful of, but on the priorities of things to contain for the Georgia Tech defense, I, I still wouldn't put it at the top of the list either. And that's a USF offense that returns nine starters from last year, the entire offensive line. But Andy, you mentioned Wisconsin. I want to wrap up with this. Jonathan Taylor for the Badgers uh, on the ground last week, 135 yards to the running back, had four total touchdowns, two rushing to receiving uh, for both of you guys, is there anyone you expect to that could find? I don't want to say that success, but a similar level of success who could have a big game for Georgia Tech. Well, I think Jordan Mason is one of the more obvious candidates. I think he's got a good combination uh, of running style that's going to allow him to not only maybe catch one of those creases and use his speed to get north and south, but I think he's enough of a power runner that he can break through there creates, you know, gets some of those tough yards that maybe aren't just handed to him. At the same time, though, I think this is a really talented tech backfield. And, you know, this could be the game where Dante Smith breaks out. And I would also say just, you know, we got a glimpse of it in that Clemson game. Keep an eye on Jerry Howard, particularly out of the backfield on passing plays. We saw what he did in that one wheel route against Clemson. And I could see much more of that uh, because that's exactly uh, one of the areas where Jonathan Taylor had a lot of success for Wisconsin. You know, guys, it's an interesting dynamic because USF is probably looking at Wisconsin and that offensive line thinking, well, whoosh, we no longer have to play 
as good an offensive line the rest of the way as what we saw in week one. Georgia Tech probably regards Clemson's defense in the same way. So both teams are coming in with a, a similar mindset to areas where they might not have acquitted themselves the best. USF, though, is still a defense that finished 122nd in the nation last year in rushing. Jordan Mason's career high was against USF. Tobias Oliver coming in for an injured Daquan Marshall. He almost rushed for 100 yards in the second half. So if you see USF really uh, roll guys into the box, play close to the line, Patrick Mason, their graduate transfer linebacker, had 15 tackles against Wisconsin. Expect him to be heavily involved as well on misdirections, on play fakes. That could turn loose some of these receiving threats, either out of the backfield or from the slot. That could turn into big chunk plays for Georgia Tech. And I'd love to see that because we know that that can really electrify a home crowd and it can play right into Georgia Tech's hands. And I just want to highlight something Andy said there. Tobias Oliver at times was just about unstoppable against USF last year. And we saw Dave Patnode try to incorporate a lot of the same concepts that made him successful in that opening game against Clemson. And as I mentioned earlier, what I saw in that game was a more dynamic, a faster, more electric Tobias Oliver. And if he's in that kind of form, he could have a very big game for the Jackets on Saturday. Well, one thing's for sure, I think every Tech fan is excited to get back inside Bobby Dodd Stadium, get set for another season of Tech football on the flats. Andy and Metro Sean Bedford will have the call. Toe meets leather at 2 p.m. Our pregame coverage begins at 12 p.m. on the Georgia Tech Sports Network from Learfield IMG College. Up next, we'll hear from Roddy Jones of the ACC Network as he gets set to make his return to the Flats as the television color analyst. That's up next on From the Flats. The Jeff Collins era begins at Bobby Dodd Stadium Saturday, September 7th at 2 p.m. when your Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets take on the USF Bulls. Help welcome in the Jeff Collins era by taking advantage of the highly popular Stinger Mobile Pass. It guarantees you a seat at all seven home games, including Georgia, for as low as $149. It's 100% mobile and allows you to sit with other Stinger Pass holders so you can always be with your friends on game day. Go to ramblinrec.com slash Stinger Pass to get yours today. It'll be a day filled with returns of penny types on Saturday as Georgia Tech takes on USF at 2 p.m. this Saturday. It'll be Jeff Collins returning to Bobby Dodd Stadium as the head coach. Shard Choice has a running backs coach. Marco Coleman, Brent Key, Nathan Burton, all former Yellow Jackets making their triumphant return to Bobby Dodd Stadium for the first time in their new roles. And they're not the only ones this weekend who will be uh, returning, but in a different capacity as we have Roddy Jones at the ACC Network who will be the color analyst. Uh, working with Georgia Tech Hall of Famer Wes Durham. And, Roddy, before we get into the matchup itself, uh, what's this weekend going to be like for you calling a game from the TV booth at uh, Bobby Dodd Stadium? Uh, it's going to be a little surreal, Wiley. It's, it's, uh, it's been a while since 2014 since I've done a game uh, and been up in the press box. I've done a couple on the field um, over the years, but uh, getting back up in the booth is something that I always wanted to do. Getting a chance to do a Georgia Tech game is, is obviously always exciting. So. Uh, it's going to be a little surreal, but but you know we'll have to get over that quickly. Uh, I think Wes will be more popular than I am anyway. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll see how that goes. Uh, you were in Raleigh last weekend uh, for NC State season opener on Saturday, but I, I know you watched the Georgia Tech Clemson uh, showdown last Thursday night. What were your takeaways from a Yellow Jacket perspective? Um, well, I think there's a lot to be to be optimistic about. Um, the play of Trey Swilling, I thought, was really really good uh between between he and zamari walton 
those two guys stood toe-to-toe with some of the best receivers in the country, T. Higgins and Justin Ross. And when you look at the offense, uh, it, there's enough to be optimistic about because, you know, if you if you can correct a missed block here, a missed block there, a guy not getting off a double team to, to try and get up to the second level, uh, and just some of the little mistakes, then then you're, you know, you're you were able to move the football. So so that's encouraging for sure. Um, you know, there's certainly things that have to get corrected. I mean, you see what happens when you when you're not disciplined on your fits on a run play. Um, and, and Clemson did a great job of, of moving the moving the line and, and, and changing the angles a little bit with that sprint draw uh, that Travis Etienne took 90 yards. You see, but you you see what happens um, what when you when you're not able to be gap sound and, and to be uh, be perfect on every play. Uh, against a team like Clemson, it's going to cost you. But but the good thing is, you know, you're not going to face that team for the rest of the year. You, you know, the, the closest thing to it you get at the end of the year in the University of Georgia, and that'll give you an opportunity to see how far you've come. So I think there was a lot to be excited about for sure. The first words out of your mouth uh, were the secondary and the play we saw from the corners of Mari Walton, Trace Julian. I want to talk about the safety unit of uh, Wanye Thomas and Tariq Carpenter. And I'm curious, do you see any similarities from the guys you played with who, who wore the same numbers at Morgan Burnett at number one and Mario Butler at number two? Because that, that's a unit, uh, you know, over the last decade that hasn't necessarily been tech's strongest, but it seems like those two guys, Tariq Carpenter and Wanye Thomas, uh, could bring some stability there. There, there are some similarities with, with Morgan. I, mean, I think Morgan was a great tackler uh, from the secondary. He was a guy that was really good in coverage, kind of a ball hawk. Um, you, you, those guys will develop the sort of ball hawk uh, uh, knack that Morgan had. Uh, but I do think they are great tacklers. Uh, they cover a lot of space. They're bigger than Morgan, both of them. Uh, you know, Wanye is <laughs> listed, I think, over 6'3", 216, and, and, and Tariq's not much, uh, not much smaller. Um, so when you, when you look at those two guys, you're going to be big physical safeties that are going to come down and tackle you um, that, that aren't going to necessarily be asked to do the things that, that Morgan did in, in coverage. Uh, but I think they've got a shot to be pretty darn good. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I, th- I thought the, the entire secondary played pretty well, um, you know, with the with the exception of a long pass play, which, you know, against a team like Clemson, they only get one of those on you, then you're absolutely fine. So um, the, the two safeties are, are really good players. The two corners, really good players. I thought Caleb Oliver um, and I, Johnny Kerr, the, the Nichols played well as well. So the secondary was definitely not a position group that that uh, that Coach Collins came away thinking, wow, we've got some issues. All right. Well, I, I know you mentioned Georgia Tech not going to face Clemson the rest of the year. Of course, you know, I think there's some fans who are hoping there's a rematch there in Charlotte, uh, the ACC championship game, if Tech can win the Coastal Division. What, what's your take on the Coastal this year? What, what's going to decide that? Man, it's 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 wide open uh, as it always is. You saw Virginia come out this week and kind of put a stake in the ground with their with their uh, their their trip up to Heinz Field and beating Pitt, um, leading the Coastal. There, there. I look at them as the class of the Coastal Division right now because of the fact that their defense is so good. Bryce Perkins is a proven quarterback on offense. If they can find some playmakers around him to replace Alameda Zacchaeus. And I think they've got a lot of potential. Then, then, uh, then this group is going to be a really, really, really good football team. Um, North Carolina had a great game, so if North Carolina is good, then they could be in the mix. Obviously, Miami with what they uh, with what they were up against, University of Florida. Pitt will be interesting because uh, with 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 the two defensive linemen they've had go down for the year with injury. How do they respond from that? Kenny Pickett didn't exactly look sharp uh, in the game against uh, against UVA, so. Uh, we'll see if he can develop. And then Virginia Tech, 
uh, who played Boston College last weekend, turned the ball over five times, once on special teams, three interceptions, and one fumble. Uh, if, if, if that's the type of performance that you see from Virginia Tech turning the ball over, then it's going to be tough to win games. So, so I don't know if there's a team that's out of it. Duke is another one. I, I don't, I don't know what to, I don't know what to expect from Duke this year. I don't think you can take a lot <laughs> from the Alabama game. Uh, somewhat like you can't take a ton from the Clemson game at Georgia Tech because those those two are outliers in college football. You're going to learn a lot more about this team, both of these teams, Duke and Georgia Tech this week. Well, the next three games for Georgia Tech will be non-conference matchups, and then it's a string of six straight coastal foes, so Tech will kind of hit them all at once. What intrigues you about Georgia Tech and USF? Uh, what, what's one key matchup or key item you're going to watch? Well, mentality of both teams is something that I'm going to be looking at early because uh, obviously Georgia Tech has a 38-point defeat to Clemson. USF got blanked 49 to nothing against Wisconsin, didn't pass midfield until the last drive of the game. Uh, so that is, uh, that, that'll test the mentality of a football team, the leadership in both of those cases, cause you kind of took butt whoopings. So, so what's the, my question is what's going to be the mentality, uh, from what I've seen, both of these teams are going to be teams that challenge you at the line of scrimmage, uh, on the perimeter, um, Georgia tech and USF, both likely going to press, uh, they're going to challenge you. They're going to stack the box, challenge you to run the football. They're going to have a lot of movement on the defensive side of the football. So it's going to come down, in my opinion, to big plays on both sides. You know, who can come up with more big plays? Then the next one is you have a a couple of quarterback groups um, that had some success, but also had some tough times. Uh, I think Tobias Oliver obviously ran the ball really well, but there was some to be desired throwing the ball. James Graham came in and looked pretty good throwing the ball and, and, and ran it a little bit. Uh, but the question to me is, how do you respond uh, against against a, a defense that's not going to be as talented as the one you saw last week? The game's going to be a little bit slower. And then can they keep uh, USF from hitting big plays? Blake Barnett had a little bit of a rough game last week, uh, their quarterback. So, so um, you know, we'll see how he bounces back as well. Roddy, before we let you go, you, you mentioned mentality being a key part of uh, Saturday's game, Georgia Tech and South Florida. What's your mentality going to be in the booth with uh, Georgia Tech Hall of Famer Wes Durham? You can be able to hold your own? <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm going to try to. Uh, Wes has some uh, – Wes is pretty quick up there, and he'll bring out the historical references in a heartbeat. So you got you got to kind of be on your game a little bit. But um, Wes and I have done Georgia Tech baseball together in the past, and obviously we had the game last week, so – um, so there's a little bit of a rapport there. I've known Wes obviously since my since my career uh, at Georgia Tech. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm I kind of just hold on for dear life and hope that he leads <laughs> me in the right direction. Well, Roddy, thanks again. Uh, a pleasure to have you with us here on From the Flats, and I uh, look forward to talking to you soon uh, throughout the season. Of course, man, appreciate it. All right, next up, we'll hear from Georgia Tech baseball pitching coach Danny Burrell. This is From the Flats. Well, it's a big week on the flats with South Florida coming to town, but another big hire for Georgia Tech this past summer. We have a chance to visit momentarily with the new pitching coach, the Georgia Tech baseball team, Danny Burrell, by way of the New York Yankees, where he spent close to two decades in professional baseball. Prior to that, a star with the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. And uh, Coach, thrilled to have you here on campus. I know it's been a long time coming, getting all the paperwork taken care of, but officially announced as the new hire three weeks ago. What's it been like being at Georgia Tech, and what are your first impressions? First impressions are it's exactly what my wife and I saw when we came up uh, five weeks ago. It was, it felt like a, a great fit for my family and myself, and 
you know, it, it hasn't been any different. You know, um, coaching staff has greeted me with open arms and uh, same with the front office and everybody over at the edge. And it, it's been absolutely great. Your resume is going to perk a lot of eyebrows and ears across college baseball, knowing that someone like yourself spent uh, several years, close to two decades with New York Yankees pitching coordinator for the last few. What attracted you to Georgia Tech about the opportunity to return to college and, and perhaps Georgia Tech compared to other schools? Well, I've had opportunities at other schools and where they were both or several very good schools. Um, this one just felt different. You know, um, it was one of those where uh, once my wife and I came up, you know, it was, you know, after spending 18 years with the Yankees, it's something had to be really just pulling at us to change that lifestyle of being in professional baseball. And, um, but yeah, like I said, it, as soon as we stepped foot on campus here, it just felt like it was the right thing to do. And being 40 years old, I have a 13 year old son, been married 18 years. So, you know, it's more about uh, quality of life and, just making sure that everybody in our family, including myself, you know, um, I'm happy going to work every day and, you know, being part of this institution is, um, you know, second to none. How excited are you? Obviously, the Yankees are, are synonymous with championships and you guys are contributing at all different levels, but your role with Georgia Tech being in the dugout for, you know, the games, uh, how much more exciting is that for you to have a chance to, to compete and be on the field? You know, as opposed to in the Yankees system where you're working with several other guys, but you're not necessarily in the Bronx 81 nights a year. On the professional side, especially in the minor leagues, it's more development-based and, you know, development breeds success. Um, I'm going to bring that same ideal here. I'm a firm believer that as you develop, you create success. And obviously, you know, games count here. <laughs> and not that they don't in professional mm -hmm. baseball and minor league systems, but it's all about developing those young men. And it's going to be the same thing here. You know, we're going to use the fall as a developmental program. And I think that's going to breed success uh, early on in the season. But being in the dugout and, you know, just living and dying through every single pitch, it's, you know, it's playing baseball for nine years professionally. <laughs> it just brings back that competitive spirit that, you know, I'm, I know I'm going to like. Well, over the last three weeks, I know you spent a lot of time getting to meet a lot of people, uh, running errands left and right, trying to get the, the equipment and the systems up and running. Uh, one question I want to ask you is, over the past three or four years in pro baseball, whether it be Edgertronic Cameras, Rap Soto, those, those are some uh, brand names that are, that are household names in the industry, but outside of, uh, of that industry, it might be a little less familiar to fans. Mm -hmm. Can you explain to me what an Edgertronic camera is and, and why that's really changed the art of pitching over the last five, six years? So Edgertronic has, it's a very high frame rate camera. And what it does is it's a, it just gives you a clear picture of how the arm works and how the ball spins on the way to the plate. And the pitching motion is the most violent motion you can do in sports. Hence, the injuries and everything like that. But um, so Edgertronic gives us the ability to slow the mechanics down, slow the arm action down to see the exact spin axis on a baseball. And you couple that with Rapsodo, uh, Trackman, and it, it, it paints a nice picture for these kids, not just, you know, giving them vocal cues, but it gives them a, a kinesthetic feel and just a visual to hopefully, you know, you blend all, all those together and it helps their development Hopefully that helps speeds up the curve a little bit mm -hmm. in terms of uh, you know getting that success early on. So, uh, but yeah, it's a uh, it's played a big part with the Yankees over the last couple of years, and 
Um, obviously, I brought all of that from the Yankees to Georgia Tech. And you've been uh, around pro baseball and pitching long enough to where you were around before Edutronic cameras. I try and explain this to people. It's like going from, from listening on a radio to watching on TV. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a dramatic uh, a revolution within the pitching industry, right? It is, and I don't think it's going anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of things are cyclical in every sport. Um, analytics is obviously uh, uh, taking a grasp hold on, on uh, professional baseball. But, um, you know, analytics, they aren't going anywhere. This technology is not going anywhere. It's only going to get better. And, you know, it's just an extra tool in your tool belt. You know, it's not going to drive our decisions one way or the other, but it's going to help us decide which pitch package is going to work best. Um, if a guy's struggling with a certain pitch, it gives us a visual on, all right, this is the result of what happened. Here's the spin axis. What can I do as a pitching coach to help them make that change? Well, you mentioned the tool belt. Let's talk about what you'll be working on, uh, the Georgia Tech pitching staff in 2020. This is a group that had a, a great season in 2019, but a lot of the guys who log those canyons are, are on their way out the door and into pro baseball. I know you haven't had a chance to practice with them, uh, or seen, but you've seen a lot of film. Uh, what do you make of some of the guys returning, namely Jonathan Hughes, uh, Luke Bartnicki, Court Rodick, and those guys? Uh, well, those three are going to be the anchors of our, you know, our rotation, and I expect uh, big things out of them. I've told them that uh, I'm going to rely heavily on them to help me through this process of going into college baseball. But, you know, those three arms are going to be um, at the top of our list, and you know, when they're pitching in ACC, and uh, so yeah, it's uh, John Hughes has been great. Um, throwing hard. I'm actually trying to back him off. He's throwing actually too hard right now. He's been 92, 94. Wow. And, um, but yeah, he's going to be the anchor to it and spins the ball extremely well, throws strikes. Uh, Rose doing a nice job uh, in his bullpen yesterday. He was actually up to 93 mm -hmm. in his first bullpen. And then Bartnicki is a lefty that um, <laughs> it, all he has to do is throw strikes and everything else will take care of itself. He'll be a first round pick and um, I'll do my best not to screw him up. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Well, well, Coach, thanks so much for the time. And uh, lastly, I know you went to an ACC school, but uh, first home game on Saturday at Bobby Dodd. Have you seen a game at Bobby Dodd before? I have not. This will be my first first time there. Um, you know, it's it's funny because USF is coming up here. Mm -hmm. I'm, I, live in, Tampa. I live in Tampa, and I have a bunch of friends coming up to the game. So they're asking if I can sit with them. And I said, <laughs> ah, absolutely not. I'll be wearing my G-Tech gear, and I'll be on the other side of the stadium. But uh, now looking forward to uh, just the whole college atmosphere, just you know, things that I haven't been around in a long time. Well, Coach, thanks for the time. You guys start up spring practice on September 12th, uh, anticipating a inter-squad series as well as the uh, two dates with South Carolina and Sanford in October. Thrilled to have you here, and it'll be February before we know it. That's right. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the From the Flats podcast. Be sure to tune in to the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network on game days for live coverage. And subscribe to this channel to get the latest news on the Yellow Jackets.